Good morning. It is seven minutes after 10 o'clock. Glad to have you with us. Uh, do you see Biden taking a lap here, uh, congratulating himself on uh, the inflation numbers? What did he do to reduce inflation? The Inflation Reduction Act, everybody agrees, if it does anything, it won't do it for years. And that's if it does anything. So what did he do to help control inflation? How can he say, whoa, look at this, it's working. <laughs> What's working? He hadn't done anything. The Federal Reserve's doing everything. Raising interest rates and, and, and slowing down the economy. Guy is an idiot. Honest to God, he's an idiot. All right, I'm, I'm not going to dwell on that. Um, but it, it, it's economic ignorance to think you can just keep hiring employees, paying them with money you don't have, uh, creating new programs, and, and uh, throwing money that you don't have out into the marketplace and not think somehow um, that it's not inflationary. How can you think that he's actually, how can he possibly believe he's actually doing something about inflation? He can't take a lap on this. He can't take a bow. He didn't do anything except, well, exacerbate the problem and make it worse. Uh, 874-9390, toll free 800-529-5572. Uh, Brian, I'm tossed. I'm, uh, I, I've got so many topics and so little time uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm tossing them up in the air and trying to figure out which one to grab. I, I literally was going to go into the uh, recycling thing because every community that probably listens to us has a recycling program. And people think somehow that they're saving the environment, which John Kerry now thinks is too late anyway. But they're not. In fact, they're making it worse with this recycling. Do not recycle, people. Here we go. Do you recycle? For sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Everything I possibly can. For decades, we've been told. Recycle America. Because recycling will save the planet. You are saving the earth. And that's what people believe. We have to do it for the kids, for the next generation. This will all be back on the shelf at the Cracker cereal box in about four to five weeks. This recycling company is run by Lynn Hoffman. If we're not using recycled paper and cardboard, we're cutting down more trees. Recycling paper and cardboard does save trees. Recycling aluminum does save energy. But most of the other stuff is impractical to recycle. That's right. This is material that came in to the recycling facility from people's recycling carts and is going to leave as trash. Huge amounts of what people send to her recycling plant will never be recycled. The worst is plastic, which for years has been marked with the recycling symbol. We see stuff like this all the time. Recycling arrows on it. Please recycle. Not recyclable. Even worse, plastic bags clog the recycling machines. You have to climb in for a couple hours every day and cut them out with the box cutter. But people think most of our plastic is recycled. Yeah, I do think so. Is it not? You're going to tell me it's not? <laughs> that's, what, that's the trick? The reality is that... The amount of plastic actually recycled is around 5%. Wow. I figured there was something coming, but I'm, I'm, I'm shocked right now. I didn't know. It's sad. 
All my life, I've heard about how important it is to recycle. It's not. Science writer John Tierney debunked recycling claims years ago. His New York Times Magazine story, Recycling is Garbage, set a record for Times hate mail. And yet, what you said is still true? It's even more true today. In fact, the economics have just gotten worse. Now, my city would save more than $300 million a year if it just stopped recycling. Recycling is an industry that's using increasingly expensive labor to produce materials that are worth less and less. Because it's not worth recycling here, much is shipped overseas to countries like Malaysia, where it's just piled up. A vast field of plastic, two stories high. Some of it from America. See if we can look on the back here. Marysville, Ohio. Look, Walmart bag. They just dump here, and then they burn it. That pollutes even more. And what they don't burn, they sometimes dump in the ocean. One garbage truck of plastic is dumped in the sea every minute. Barely any of that plastic comes from American shores. So, <laughs> if you care about saving Flipper, you should put your plastic bottle in the garbage. The garbage? But then it would go to a landfill. And aren't we running out of space for landfills? I'm sure we are. People believe that because for years the media said, we've about run out of places to throw away our throwaway. They think that because years ago there was so much publicity about this barge. A symbol of this country's growing problems with trash. The barge traveled thousands of miles looking for a place to dump its load. But it wasn't because there wasn't room. States turned this barge away because alarmist media scared people about what it contained. It could be infectious waste. Dripping brown ooze of possibly infectious material. We don't know what kind of tropical vermin is in that garbage. The EPA later found it was normal garbage. And landfills had plenty of room for it. Today they have more space than we'll ever need. If you think of the United States as a football field, all the garbage that we will generate in the next 1,000 years would fit inside a tiny fraction of the one-inch line. Really? Oh, that's surprising. On top of that, today's landfills are not the polluters they once were. Some sensible regulations make sure they don't pollute. Eventually, landfills are turned into ski hills, parks, and golf courses. Putting garbage here is much cheaper than recycling. So why do towns keep pushing recycling? They do it because people demand it. It's a sacrament of the green religion. I rinse my cans, I take my labels off. If there's plastic on that something that's paper, I take the plastic piece off of it. It's fine if they want to do it voluntarily, but we shouldn't mandate that. It's not my religion. I don't want to perform that sacrament. I don't want to either. It's time consuming and complicated. My city orders us follow all these rules. That's one of the reasons recycling fails is because it's so complicated people never learn the rules and why should they be spending their free time learning these rules? Worse, lots of what we do is pointless. If you rinse a, a plastic bottle in hot water, the net result is more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than if you threw it in the garbage. Even Greenpeace said most plastics simply cannot be recycled. So what's Greenpeace's solution? Let's stop producing it. You're saying don't use plastic at all. Ban plastic. I think that's where we're headed. No more plastic? But plastic often creates less emissions than alternatives. Environmental groups rarely mention that. 
or how they misled us about recycling for years. It's appalling that after telling people for three decades to recycle, they don't even apologize for all the time and money that they've wasted. Instead, they have an even worse proposal that will make life even worse and will be even more expensive. One time-consuming dream of theirs is a circular economy where everything is reused. If you're running out of laundry detergent, you could take your jug back to the store and fill it up instead of buying another one. That's really the goal. But people don't want to. You're, you're, you're asking them to do things they don't want to do. People also don't want insurance rates going up because catastrophic weather. Catastrophic weather increases because someone doesn't recycle? Sure, because of climate change. Give me a break. Recycling's no climate savior. When Los Angeles mandated recycling, they added 400 polluting garbage trucks. But environmentalists still demand we pick through our trash, switch from plastic to paper bags that rip. California even bans small plastic shampoo bottles. They still think, you know, why do you want to make life more difficult for travelers? Some of these rules are just so arbitrary and silly. It's simply a way, I think, for Greens and for some politicians to pretend that they're saving the planet. And it's to just feel absurd. Good, to, yeah. It feels like they're doing something. Right, and I think they get a charge out of telling people what to do. Yeah, I do too. I think they like that control. So if you're recycling and you care about the environment, stop. All right, 874-9390, toll-free, 800-529-5572, or go to GaryNolan.com. Dr. Murray Sabrin will be with us shortly, uh, raising the debt ceiling. What happens if we do? What happens if we don't? He is an economist who would know. He uh, literally is an e was an economics professor. Let me go to the phones and on the children uh, on the audio that, that we played. Welcome. How are you? Oh, well, okay, Gary. Well, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, what is this war on children and innocence, the progressives? I, who are these people? I got to wonder how many parents know that this is going on in their schools. That's the only, you know, rational thought I can think of why they allow this to happen. You know, why aren't, if this is state law in those states... Why aren't those teachers being arrested, being fired, remanded in some way? You know, I, I dare, I challenge a progressive who, you know, subscribes to this, to what Planned Parenthood was doing in that, you know, audio clip that you, you played. I dare them to call up and to own this. And to tell us why this is so great, this is Sodom and Gomorrah. They they want to chop our kids up and tell them that they're a he is a she and a she is a he, and have them having sex in grade school for crying out loud, Gary. Why, if this is state law, why are they being allowed to get away with this? Because and parents I, believe that the government will educate their children and it allows both mom and dad to go to work. After all, they've got a built-in daycare center. It's called school, and they don't pay attention. They just send Junior off with the message, pay attention to the teacher, do what the teacher says. I'm just... Uh, yeah, you wouldn't... This, Gary, this is Sodom and Gomorrah. This is... These people... I'm, I'm, it's not good to talk when you're emotional, but these people are evil. They are, I'm just being redundant, but it's just, 
Yeah, it's cr- it does. It, it makes you crazy. I've been screaming, get yeah. your kids out of government schools for a reason. And thank you for the call. Thank Let, you. Thank glad you. to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Um, by the way, she mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, not like, <laughs> that's not like uh, you might get the wrong impression there, but no. I'm going to talk about uh, about God. I, I don't. This is just an interesting study they did. Um, we'll talk about it in a few minutes. Let me get this phone call in from Jeff on recycling. Welcome, Jeff. How are you? Just fine. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing well, thank you. Uh, about this recycling, I don't know about the state of Missouri, but I drove a bulk trash truck in Tennessee for eight years. The trash, you know, these little recycling bins where you uh, separate your plastic and your paper and everything. And yes. It's supposed to be recycled. They take those out to the landfill, open the end, and dump everything in the landfill. <laughs> so you go through all the trouble of sorting it out, and then they just go mix it up again. Yeah, about 2% of what we recycle is recycled. You know these uh, little red medical boxes, Sharpie boxes in doctor's offices? Yeah. They end up in the landfill. Wow. We, we used to have to walk this trailer and put a net over it. Well, I don't know how many times I pulled up my boot and had a needle sticking in the bottom of my boot. Yikes. Oh, and that could be so risky. Syracuse, New York... They burn their trash and then take it to the landfill. Yeah. You know, Syracuse has some wonderful people, uh, but some lousy laws. I'll, I'll just tell you that. All right. Oh, they have they have to spray a perfume over it before they put it in the landfill, though. <laughs> well, that's kind of like Columbia with their uh, monogram garbage bags. You know, you want, them, you want everything to look pretty and smell nice. Well, they... They end up in the landfill and methane gas out of the landfills constantly. Yeah. All right. Jeff, I got to run, buddy. Thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. So-called death and despair, such as from suicide or alcohol abuse, have been skyrocketing for middle-aged white Americans. Wait till you hear the results of this study. That's next on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It is 25 minutes after 10 o'clock. It is the Gary Nolan Show. Uh, we are going to have uh, Dr. Murray Sabrin. He is a uh, an economics professor, retired author, uh, and uh, a great, uh, you know, it's just a perfect example of what happens when you come to this country with opportunity. You apply yourself and you make something yourself. I mean, he came here in his with his parents. Uh, And they were, you know, it was abject poverty for them. And he's made a success of himself. Uh, Anyway, he and I are going to chat a little bit about uh, this uh, debt ceiling. In the meantime, this study came up, uh, and I was was, kind of surprised. Rise in middle-aged white deaths of despair. Death of despair from, you know, people are, like, abusing themselves because they're suffering from despair. The study said that may be fueled by a loss of religion. That's what this paper uh, says. So-called deaths of despair, such as from suicide, alcohol abuse, have been skyrocketing for middle-aged white Americans. 
It's been blamed on various phenomena, including opioid abuse. But new research paper, a new research paper finds a different culprit. Declining religious practice. The working paper, and by the way, this isn't just coming from some, you know, right-wing conservative group. There's a whole bunch of people involved in this. Tyler Giles of uh, Wellesley College. Daniel Hungerman of University of Notre Dame. Tamar Ostrom of Ohio State University. They looked at the relationship between religiosity and mortality from deaths of despair. The paper was circulated by the National Bureau of Economic Research, and the authors, they, they noted that many measures of religious adherence began to decline in the late 1980s. They find that the large decline in religious practice was driven by the group experiencing the subsequent increase in mortality. White, middle-aged Americans without a college degree. Anybody surprised by this? Um, states that experienced larger declines in religious participation in the last 15 years of the 20th century saw larger increases in deaths of despair. The researchers looked at the repeal of blue laws in particular. Blue laws uh, limit commerce typically on Sunday mornings. They have been shown to be strongly related to religious practice, creating discrete changes in incentives to attend religious services that are plausibly unrelated to other drivers of religiosity, they said. The repeal of blue laws had a 5 to 10 percent or 5 to 10 point impact on weekly attendance of religious service and increased the rate of deaths from despair two per hundred thousand people, accounting for a reasonably large share of the initial rise in the deaths of despair. Brian, did you live in a city where they had blue laws? I did, yes, I, as a matter of fact, yes. I grew up in Cleveland Heights, and they had blue laws. There were some things you just couldn't buy, some stores that wouldn't open on Sundays. Yep. Uh, and I would argue, and still do, that the government really didn't have a right to do that. But they did, and now these people are saying that it is because of that that we're seeing an increase in people... Uh, you know, drinking themselves to death, among other things. What's also interesting is that the impact seems to be driven by actual formal religious participation rather than belief or personal activities like prayer. The results, they say, underscore the importance of cultural institutions, such as religious establishments, in promoting well-being. So they get rid of the blue laws uh, you can buy yourself an alcoholic beverage and do that instead of going to church, and then uh, your society begins to crumble. Does, uh, does that make sense? I, I would be looking for some, to see if there's any, anything else uh, that's going on here, because this doesn't make sense to me. They further added they didn't know of any cultural phenomenon that matches the mortality patterns, which are seen for both men and women but not in other countries and in both rural and urban settings, but mostly middle-aged, less educated white individuals. They decline in religiosity, or the decline, 
matches mortality trends. Coincidence? Causation? You tell me. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It is 1035. Glad to have you with us. It seems that um, Dr. Sabrin may not make it on the program after all. We will see. Uh, but I was really looking forward to chatting with him about the uh, debt ceiling. In the meantime, there is a study that indicates or that Im- they believe they've uh, found indications that it is a lack of religion that is leading people to commit suicide uh, and to, uh, you know, succumb to alcohol and drug abuse. They looked at the repeal of blue laws in particular, and they, they decided that when the blue laws were in place, and if you're not familiar with blue laws, if you're young enough, you don't remember or don't know about them. Community would pass a law that says you can't sell alcohol on Sunday. You can't open a certain type of store on Sunday. You can uh, only open at uh, noon, but there are some products you can't sell. And what they're suggesting here is that as a result of those blue laws, uh, people no longer go to church. The blue laws were designed to encourage people to go to church. It's the, you know, it's the keep holy the Lord's Day thing. Uh, and if you couldn't do any of these other things, then uh, you would, you'd go to church. And now the blue laws have been repealed. I don't know of any communities that have them. And that, they say, has led to uh, an increase in alcohol and drug abuse. And people dying early. The repeal of blue laws had a 10 to 15 percentage point impact on weekly attendance of religious services. What's also interesting, they write, is that the impact seems to be driven by actual formal religious participation rather than belief or personal activities like prayer. These results underscore the importance of cultural institutions and religious establishments in promoting well-being. They said they couldn't come up with any other cultural phenomenon that matches the mortality patterns, uh, which are seen for both men and women, not in other countries and in both rural and urban settings, but mostly middle-aged, less educated white individuals. Do you think there's something screwy with this study, or do you believe it? The decline in religiosity matches the mortality trends in all these characteristics, they wrote. They also pushed back on the opioid theory. They said Oxycontin was first introduced as a prescription drug in 96. Yet already by then, deaths of despair for middle-aged white Americans were well above trend. I'm not buying this. I am not buying this. I, I I didn't actually get to see the study, just the the recap here. But I don't think being able to buy uh, a six-pack of beer on Sunday morning is somehow, oh, there we go, led to this uh, increased mortality rate. I'm not buying it. Uh, 874-9390, toll-free 800-529-5572. It turns out that uh, perhaps we will have Dr. Murray Sabrin. On the program this morning, I, th- I thought we were, I thought we missed, but uh, Nay Nay Perlin, uh, we we've got him. 
Murray, welcome to the program. How are you this morning? Very good, Gary. I'm um, sorry I, did, I got my signals across this morning, but uh, better late than ever, as they say. That's okay. Would you just hang on? i got to get a couple of quick phone calls. I threw out a topic here uh, because there is a study. It's at MarketWatch. It says, rise in middle-aged white deaths of despair may be fueled by a loss of religion, according to this new research. And this isn't just, you know, some Christian, Catholic, Baptist, whatever. This was actually, uh, you know, Ohio State was part of the study and, and a couple of other places. And what they're suggesting, Marie, is that because blue laws disappeared, people didn't go to church as often. And then we had these these people overdosing on uh, drugs and alcohol and dying early. And they say that that's the cause. I'm not sure I buy that. I, I didn't get to go through the study, just the recap that was at MarketWatch. Uh, something tells me they may have correlation but not causation. And so I asked listeners if, if they believed it. Let me. It, it, does it make sense to you? Do you think there's something else going on there? There's a lot of things going on, Gary. I think the lockdowns had an enormous impact on people's psyche, people's uh, outlook on life, and um, uh, pe people are just frustrated. Uh, I know f from personal experience, uh, students have told me uh, people uh, in their families have been have been harmed by the lockdowns. One student told me in uh, the spring of 2020, when the lockdowns first appeared, one of his um, um, childhood friends committed suicide, and that's just one incident. Can you imagine you multiply that across the country, and you're probably getting suicides in, in the uh, thousands across the country because of lockdown and the despair people feel. Uh, this, this whole drug dependency is just mind-boggling. Uh, why people are, are, aren't able to cope with uh, life uh, as it comes by, uh, it, it's just hard to fathom that people are going to drugs, despair, alcoholism, and um, we have a serious problem this, in this country, and uh, certainly the government is not going to solve us. We know that. Well, it, I, I don't doubt that it has exacerbated the problem, but they were looking going back to the 80s and 90s. Um, so, I, But I want to I touch on uh, your view as an economist of what happens if we do or do not raise the debt limit. We'll do that in just a minute. Let me get a couple of callers in at least uh, on this uh, religiosity thing. Roger is on the line. Roger, welcome. How are you? Hey, doing great, Gary. Uh, when we moved to Columbia, the blue laws were still in, fact, in effect in 1971. And the busiest time of the day for every liquor store, the busiest time of the week, was midnight on Saturday night because people were stocking up for Saturdays for Sunday. And uh, it didn't really make much difference. Anyway, I think the problem lies, first of all, with television and the, and the crap that comes up on TV. Uh, second of all is the movies out of Hollywood uh, promote deviant lifestyles in my mind. I never go to the movies anymore. I, I can't stand it. And more recently, the Internet has contributed to a general moral decline, I'd say, of the entire country. Interesting. All right. Uh, Roger, I appreciate it. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Uh, I, let me get uh, back to Dr. Sabre and Murray. What happens if the Republicans raise the debt ceiling? Is that good or is that bad? Does that hurt us in the long run or help us? 
Well, the, the problem is not the debt ceiling, because the debt ceiling is a reflection of this unconstitutional spending that we have in Washington that has created this welfare warfare state for the past uh, 100 years. And uh, therefore, no matter who's in charge, according to the data of uh, when the president is a Democrat or Republican, the Congress is controlled by a Democrat or Republican, uh, I have a chart that uh, I'm going to be publishing on my Substack column today showing it doesn't matter who's in charge. Debt keeps on rising because they play this game of uh, the debt ceiling uh, angst that takes place every year or two or three, and uh, each side blames the other, but then it keeps on going up. And so the real issue, Gary, is what... Uh, what is the Congress allowed to spend money on? And as I, I'm going to point out in my article today, uh, if you look at Article 1, Section 8 of the authorized spending of the federal government, most of federal spending is not authorized by the Constitution, which leads me to the conclusion that members of Congress and whoever's sitting in the Oval Office are violating their oath to uphold and defend the Constitution because they're spending money that, they, that is not legitimate. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, but the, the the Republicans, those 20 Republicans uh, that we were talking about that held out on the uh, speakership, they have extracted a, their pound of flesh. They want spending cut. But the biggest areas of spending are Medicare and Social Security and the military. And, and frankly, those are the only ones that can really save us from economic doom. Uh, by the way, uh, Saudi Arabia is already just now, I, I was reading a story this morning, they're, they've found a way to trade oil without using the U.S. dollar. That catches mm -hmm. on, we're in trouble. But these Republicans want this spending to be cut. And if they get their way, uh, you know, I think that's terrific. But if they don't, is that a problem? It, it, should they hold no, out no matter what? What do you think? Well... Basically, this bu this budget year, which ends uh, September 30th, is already baked into the cake. Uh, they keep on spending, and so the, we're hitting against that, uh, that ceiling. But that doesn't matter. What matters is uh, what's been happening in this fiscal year since the Republicans control the House. That's where they should dig in their heels and say, we don't need to have spending at these levels. Why can't we have the spending of three years ago before COVID? Now that the COVID crisis is over, uh, we're back to normal, so to speak. Why do we need to have all the spending? And uh, with inflation, as you know, prices keep on going up for things that the government purchases and that coal is for uh, uh, Social Security are going up this year. So we're in a bind, Gary, that's been a long time in the making, as you well know. And so now the Republicans have to dig in and say, let's look at the federal budget item by item and see what's necessary in order to defend the American people and to uh, and to have the things that government should uh, is authorized to do. And other spending, let's phase it out and leave it to the states, leave it to the private sector, leave it to the nonprofit sector to do as they please in order to create a better economy. But certainly we know government spending does not create long-term prosperity. All it does is shift money around between taxpayers and tax consumers. So go ahead and raise the debts, uh, the debt limit, but in the following budget, cut spending to the point where you don't have this issue uh, in a year. Uh, it, it doesn't come around again. That's, that's what I would suggest the Republicans do. Say, listen, this is Joe Biden's budget. 
this is Joe Biden's uh, view of, of America, that the government has to spend uh, $6 trillion a year, which is an obscene amount of money since not too long ago, the federal government was only spending about three, $4 trillion a year, which is an enormous sum in and of itself. And the, the debt just keeps on rising because no president uh, wants to cut spending. No Congress wants to actually cut spending, which means if you're spending a dollar today, you're spending 90 cents the next year. What they do is they're spending a dollar today and they propose a dollar 10 next year and they settle on a dollar five. That's considered a cut in spending. So yes. that shows you how they, uh, they, they butcher the English language when a cut is really a, a lower increase than they otherwise would want. I, uh, I liken that to, to belonging to Weight Watchers. And going to a party <laughs> and thinking I put on 10 pounds. And then I go to my Weight Watchers meeting and I find out I put on 4 pounds and I say, hey, I lost 6 pounds. Um, it, yeah, yeah. Th that's, that's what it's like. Um, and that baseline budgeting yeah, thing. Go ahead. There's an incredible dishonesty in Washington, D.C. I mean, uh, we've seen it for decades. And it's getting to the point where... It's become so farcical that you just scratch your head and say, when will these people wake up? Because I think the Saudis and other countries around the world are realizing that the U.S. government has a major fiscal uh, problem. This is, this is fiscal malpractice. There's no way to, to, to uh, sugarcoat this. If no business, no individual, no community uh, can do what the federal government does because they have the printing press and the dollar is still accepted around the world. But you take away the printing press and you take away the dollar reserve currency and the whole house of cards collapses in Washington, D.C. Obviously, we don't want to see that. So let's have a, a reasonable transition to a constitutional budget and uh, we won't have this debt ceiling debate anymore, ever again. It would be nice if they could do it. Where can they find your column tonight? Because I, I want to read your column. It's at murraysabrin.substack.com. And I write these short pieces a couple times a week just to give people uh, an, an education about the federal government and the politics in general. And I, I'm trying to increase it more, but I've got, I'm so busy with other projects that uh, twice a week is, is uh, at this time, enough to get the message out that uh, we, we have a serious problem in this country that is not going to be resolved by wringing our hands and uh, pointing fingers at each other. It means looking at the federal budget line by line, not having this, this $1.7 trillion spending bill. We should do it agency by agency. What agency, if they want to spend a billion dollars, let's vote on that agency. If we think it should be 900 uh, million, let's do it that way. And instead of throwing in everything in the kitchen sink in this omnibus, um, omnibus bill, uh, we should do the proper thing, which is what a board of directors does in, uh, in, in corporations. They vote on each separate project. They don't vote on a billion dollar expenditure. They vote on 100 million, 50 million, and they vote on, on the merits of each project instead of saying, okay, take it or leave it. And unfortunately, too many uh, Republicans in the Senate uh, took it, and uh, 16, I think, senators voted for this $1.7 trillion omnibus bill when the Republicans in the House said, no, we're not going to do that, this business this way. And that's what Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, should do, bring up each bill separately instead of throwing it all into one mix. And if you do that, then I think the American people can, can say to the representatives, do we really need the spending? And, of course... Uh, all right. From my perspective, uh, they should look at the, at the Constitution as guidance for what should be spent. Dr. Murray Sabrin, professor of economics. You could find him at Substack. Read it. It's going to be great. Murray, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Gary Nolan Show, Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 1055. I really did want to... Uh,
do this uh, piece on the uh, airlines, uh, the uh, FAA, but time is prohibiting this. So I will play this right after the news at 11.05. I will play this, uh, this piece. When they shut down all the airplanes and said nobody can fly and, and uh, it caused that backup and ripple effect for a couple of days, the administration said... Well, it was just a, you know, a software glitch. And I had heard that something happened in Canada, too, but I didn't have all the details. But I didn't necessarily believe it was a software glitch. Well, Tucker Carlson, uh, in his monologue, covered this and came up with even more information that makes me believe that it was not a software glitch. What was behind it? Well, I think we'll expose that at about 5 after 11. In the meantime, uh, on uh, this Davos thing, I don't know if you guys have been following this or not, but Joe Manchin uh, spoke at, at Davos. And when you hear what he said, Brian, did you hear what he said? I did not, no. I have this, not caught, caught up to that yet. This, really, this is surprising, uh, even for, uh, uh, for, for a Manchin. But listen to this, talking about freedom of the press. The problem that we have is the open press system and basically all the platforms. So if you're able to have five platforms, social platforms, that you can basically um, personify the extremes, somebody who is extremely right or extremely left, and it seems like that is the majority speaking, they're not the majority, but they're basically driving everybody to make a decision. What side are you on? Are you on this side or this side? And in America, there's only one side, the American side. It's not the Republican side or Democrat. We should be coming together to solve the problems from a different angle. He is arguing, essentially, that the First Amendment is a problem. Quote, the problem we have is the open press system and basically all the platforms. Really? No, no. I love the open press. I love being able to say this is right, that's wrong, this is good, that's bad. I love it that there are others who have different opinions. And they get to express their opinions as well. And they may agree or, or disagree with me. That's, that's what freedom of the press and freedom of speech, or it, that's what it's all about. How could Manchin possibly think that's a problem? He may not like what they're, you know, the direction they're leaning in one uh, one day or one year uh, as opposed to another. But no, this freedom of speech and freedom of the press, they're part of what makes America the greatest republic in the world to live in. Or at least it was. You know, there, there are some things the founding fathers in their in their brilliance and wisdom gave us that include the right to overturn a tyrannical government and the weapons to do it. It include freedom of speech and protection for your private property. Yeah, that's a bad indicator for a senator. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. 